You know, it was just a little puff of smoke off my wing, and at the time, nobody, you know, really thought much about it. It's like, oh, I'm sure they'll snuff that out. And then that fire ended up, you know, growing to, um, God, I think it's 130,000 acres now. Welcome to Soaring the Sky, a Glider Pilots podcast. My name is Chuck. I'm your host, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and flying with the Cumberland Soaring Group. This is episode 76. We will be joining our guest pilot soon, but first, a big thank you for continuing to support the podcast. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button. Take a couple minutes and leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. It helps to get the word out and helps build the soaring community. Also, share the podcast with your fellow glider pilots there at the glider board and tell them what they are missing. I do want to thank those of you that continue to financially support the podcast. If you'd like to help us out, you can do that. Go to patreon.com slash soaringthesky or soaringthesky.com and you can click on the support the show button. While you are there, you can also sign up for our newsletter that will be coming soon. This episode is sponsored by the Southern California Soaring Academy, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in the high desert of Los Angeles County. Soaring Academy is dedicated to growing the sport of soaring with young people through its 8th grade STEM outreach programs and giving back to PTSD-afflicted veterans during private monthly events. Flight lessons and mountain soaring are available year-round to the general public, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. To learn how you can get involved, check them out on Instagram and Facebook at Soaring Academy or online at SoCalSoaringAcademy.org. Our guest pilot today, Mitch Thompson, started his soaring journey 15 years ago, picking up RC gliders after years of flying powered RC planes and building scale airplane models. He realized quickly that he wanted to scale up from RC into his own glider when the opportunity presented itself. Soaring in his own glider was something he put on his bucket list for over a decade and culminated in an orientation flight at Warner Springs, California back in 2018, where his first flight took him up into winter wave and so much altitude that he and his instructor in the back seat got to do some fun aerobatic maneuvers on the way back to the field. At that point, he was hooked. After they landed, he signed up on the FAA website for a student certificate and then started a rigorous training regime at the Soaring Academy. Finally taking his glider solo flight in October 2019, after a COVID virus delay in the spring of this year, he took his checkride and got his glider private certificate in May. Mitch is now soaring out of Crystal Airport, Charlie November 4-6 on the Los Angeles sectional, located in the high desert of Southern California, just northeast of Los Angeles, and is enjoying his days flying in his ASG-29 in the San Gabriel Mountains. Today he will share some interesting stories about his learning journey, mountain soaring, and a couple of mishaps and learning experiences that happened along the way. Later on the podcast, aerobatic champion pilot Luca Bertozia will join us from Italy. And for our soaring tips and techniques segment today, we will be joined by Barbara Mriftova from the Czech Republic as she describes soaring in wave. All this now on Soaring the Sky. Hi, Mitch. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Chuck, it's been a while uh, since I saw you. What Back in March, just before COVID hit, you came out to uh, Southern California here, hanging out 
at the Soaring Academy and uh, excited to be on the show, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, good time. So how about you tell me what's been going on with you and how did your soaring journey get started? Well, I'm a relatively newly minted glider pilot flying in gliders for uh, just under two years now and probably compared to a lot of your your other guests, uh, I won't be shedding much light on the nuances of uh, cross-country racing or, you know, seven kinds of convergence lift. But like all pilots, I have a few stories to tell and, and hopefully a few things that uh, I think will be of interest to pilots of, uh, of all stripes and, and all hours, hopefully. And I'm glad you're actually giving relatively low hours guy like me a, a shot at but that's what's kind of cool about your podcast because I think you've done a, a good job of mixing it up with, uh, you know, men and women, young, old, high hours and low hours and racers and recreational pilots um, and even, you know, mixing it up with geographies of so the U.S. and a lot of uh, countries abroad. So like a really good mix of, of guests. So anyway, thanks again for for having me on and and let me share, uh, you know, my little slice of, of, uh, glider world with, with everybody. So absolutely happy that you're on. So anyway, like, you know, like a lot of your guests, um, that I've heard, you know, aviation started for me when, when I was a kid, um, like five years old and my dad would go buy me like new plastic, uh, airplane scale model kits from, the local hobby shop every couple of weeks. And I built, uh, got countless world war II scale planes for a number of years. Um, I was always a little lazy about painting them, uh, in detail, but, uh, you know, always wanted to build the next one, but, but obsessed with world war II planes. And, uh, and then probably I think middle school ish. Um, then I got into, Cox, uh, you know, little gas powered control line models and stuff, um, which, which were fun, but, uh, you get a little dizzy spinning around in circles all the time and sniffing <laughs> fuel vapors. Right? So. Yeah. And then I took a break for a number of years until, uh, until what, after grad school. And then I moved to Taiwan for a job with FedEx, um, over in Taipei and, and I hooked up with a buddy of mine who was, uh, was getting into some pretty serious RC powered plane builds. And, and I got the bug and ended up building, uh, five or six really nice, uh, RC planes and flying for a number of years at a strip, um, just in the suburbs of Taipei, you know, as goes when doing aerobatics with, uh, powered RC, you, you tend to crash them and, I guess at some point I just crashed my last one and, and didn't really pick up RC again until I moved back to the U S about 15 years ago. And then I, I picked up, uh, you know, RC gliders. And I think it, that that's kind of what really set the hook for me with gliders was seeing a glider actually like, you know, climbing on its own, and, you know, without an engine and, and uh, often, you know, with with hawks and soaring birds, which we have a lot of down here in Southern California. Um, but it was just always like relaxing and 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 chill and and uh, 
you know, I often wondered what it'd be like to do that in a big boy sailplane. Um, and, you know, I'd seen movies like the Thomas Crown Affair and a few YouTubes here and there, but, but all I knew is I just really enjoyed soaring. Um, and, you know, given the time and chance and a little bit of money, I'd, you know, probably like to try the real thing. So, and then, you know, fast forward to just a couple of years ago when I finally decided to take an orientation ride um, at Warner Springs Glider Port, which is just northeast of San Diego. Um, you know, it was like a slow day there, and I think I was the only guy there, and it wasn't really great conditions, um, kind of off season, but we took a, you know, super high tow, and the instructor, um, in the back seat, I think his name was George, you know, kind of asked me what my tolerance for, you know, roller coaster rides and stuff was. And, you know, I'm like, I was like, Hey, I, you know, I'm ready, man. I, you know, just, you know, bring it. And, uh, and so he proceeded to do some, you know, some wing overs and some, some stuff I never really kind of imagined he could do, um, in a glider. I mean, I, probably done them in my, you know, it's my RC stuff, but, you know, but sitting there that day, it was, uh, it was pretty much the most fun I'd had doing you know, kind of anything. And I've, and I've done quite a bit of fun, you know, thrill stuff, um, you know, over the years, but, uh, and so, yeah, once we landed, you know, he, uh, he asked me if I wanted to, to take lessons and, and so we sat in the office and applied for my student certificate kind of right there on the spot. And that's kind of, that's how it all got started. Wow. Can you tell me a little bit about your learning process and your trek ride and, and, you know, just how it was for a guy with no aviation background? You know, we have so many guests that have all sorts of aviation experience coming into soaring. And then there are guys like you that just step right into it sometimes later in their lives. But what was that like? Later in the are you saying I'm old, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. No. Okay. Well, I am. I'm. I'm. I'm getting there. I mean, in my in my early fifties now, but yeah, it didn't really have any you know, powered background or or anything. So just kind of stepped, you know, right into gliders. So after I signed up at Warner, um, I quickly realized the drive from. Orange County out to the desert was uh, was just too painful, so I started googling around, and and then I ended up finding um, the uh, Soaring Academy, which was you know under most traffic conditions down here, less drive time, and it looked like a, a cool outfit. And it wasn't long before I started taking lessons out there, like early 2019, and yeah, learned on um, their fleet of. Uh, K21s I think they have I think they have like four of them and I was going out you know still full-time job at the time and I was going out a couple you know a couple days a week and, and just plugging away um, trying to do the you know the, the the book work and the ground stuff along the way and I ended up soloing uh, probably about six months after I started that was like October of, of 19 and just kind of kept plugging away and I was all geared up for my check ride finally in kind of like late February, you know, early March of uh, of this year. But then just literally days 
you know, away from scheduling the check ride, then we got shut down by uh, COVID-19 and, and all that business. It wasn't until the end of May, I think it was, that, that I, you know, got a check ride scheduled with uh, Dan Gudgel, who was tough, but great. And the check ride was, uh, it, it, you know, it just so happened it wasn't the wasn't the best of conditions, but it was just barely good enough to actually go do the flight portion after I oh got it must have been a three and a half hour oral pretty grueling and uh, we had 20 pushing 20 knots with quite a bit of gradient um, but it was straight down the runway so you know I kind of said well I can you know I can do this mostly went well on the check ride I think you know one of the things that that I was kind of messing up was uh I'd been kind of used to just picking spots on the ground in, in my you know, pattern work, but when you got a you know twenty knot wind pushing you around, your spots change, and you know I was kind of finding out the hard, hard way on the check ride. Like, well, you better adjust on the fly a little bit better. So w- one of the landings, I think I cleared the dirt and got onto the pavement by you know, literally like you know five or ten feet and just kind of eking out short final just just to try to make the pavement because that's a you know that's a bust of course if you if you actually come up short of the the runway but yeah four toes and um and then got through it and uh that was a a pretty you know memorable day i think it is for for most pilots but especially i think if it's your your first check ride and you jump you know straight into gliders and you don't have the luxury of all this experience and hours and power so it was it was a you know it's a big deal for me kind of getting through that and it was a lot harder than I ever thought it was especially the the, the book work and you know that the oral and stuff is actually really pretty tough so congratulations on that by the way yeah well yeah thanks man I mean it's uh yeah it was certainly one of the hardest things you know I think I'd done in my you know in my life and, and that includes you know doing some tough things in business or you know grad school or whatever but um but yeah really good sense of achievement to, to finally get through that. Absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about the glider port there? Yeah. So the name of the airport is uh, Crystal and it's uh, Charlie November 4-6 on a Los Angeles sectional. Uh, airport's about 3,400 feet uh, above sea level and it's located, uh, well, it's located about 20 miles or so what is it? Southeast of Palmdale. Some people might know Palmdale for, you know, it's really one of the, the birthplaces of um, the aerospace industry um, in the U.S. and, you know, has a lot of big aerospace companies out there. The area around the airport is really pretty cool because it's only about uh, five miles or so uh, north of the San Gabriel Mountains. So anybody that's been to Los Angeles uh, or watched, you know, the Rose Bowl or, or something, and you see the, you know, the big mountains that kind of form a backdrop behind Los Angeles when you're looking to the north, you know, that's those mountains. And so Crystal's just on the, you know, the north side of those mountains and the, it's called the Antelope Valley kind of high desert. But the coolest thing is that you're just sort of a five or 10 minute tow from, you know, really cool mountain soaring and they have pretty much, you know, everything you can imagine, and you you can actually get multiple kinds of lift on one toe, and and happens, you know, frequently. I mean, you can you can literally have, you know, thermals and 
and wave, you know, in a day, or you could have thermals and convergence, or, you know, there's a shear line out there quite often. And, you know, in the summer, you can regularly get lift up to 15,000 feet, you know, big high cloud bases and not really any ridge per se, just because the prevailing winds don't really line up. But there's some fantastic, you know, wave days. Well, actually all throughout the year, but but mostly in the, the winter. But we even had one in uh, August here recently. But um, it's a it's a great it's a great place, great place to, to fly. And, um, and even a lot of people set off from there for pretty long cross-country work. It is absolutely beautiful. I really enjoyed the short time that I was there and definitely plan on coming back. I know from your emails back and forth and from your Insta post, um, you did end up buying a really cool glider. It's, it's beautiful. I've seen the pictures. An ASG-29 Super High Performance. Maybe you can share a bit about your decision process and why you ended up there maybe what you like about the ship and whether you would have done anything different yeah um so i I guess i first started looking at buying something new but i quickly realized that that would just take forever because it's not like you know it's not like a a car showroom where you know shiny new gliders are you know sitting around ready for you to, to to purchase and and take home so then i you know started looking around at what was available on the you know in the kind of the pre-owned market. And, um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, do you want to get something with an engine or a motor, you know, flapped, not flapped. It's kind of round and round for, you know, a couple months. And then I think it was Rex up at Williams Soaring finally introduced me to a guy and, and he was on your show a few months ago, um, Dennis uh, Linekin. Yeah, that's right. And he was looking to looking to, to sell his, his ASG 29 and, and it just, you know, kind of checked all the boxes for me. And, you know, some folks along the way, you know, kind of raised their eyebrow, like, you know, what's you know low hours guy like you buying, you know, all that glider, but, you know, having ridden high performance motorcycles really for over 30 years, I, you know, one thing I've never been afraid of is, performance because i think as long as you respect performance at least it's there when you need it and i'd rather have more performance available than less so as long as you don't abuse it or disrespect it then performance is usually you know your friend and i think as gliders go the asg29 feels pretty benign you know relative to stall and spin characteristics and and it's got flaps which was you know for sure a thing in the learning process and I did, in fact, have to get checked out on an ASG32, like a two-seater. That's really just a bigger version of the the 29 um, in a lot of ways. But yeah, happy you know with where I landed, and it's a it's a really really great ship, and you know had a bunch of great flights so far, and look forward to many 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 more. Well, speaking of great flights, I know you've been doing a lot of flying over the summer. Maybe you could share some of your experiences. Have you had anything happen to you, like? Anything crazy on tow, maybe up in the mountains around Crystal or landing that really stuck in your head? Well, uh, you know, I'm sure most pilots that do mountain soaring, you know, probably what floats up to the top for a lot of people will be will be wave days. So kind of take your pick of, of scary. But I mean, the, you know, starting, I guess, with a takeoff, of course, once you get once you get out there, you know, going through rotor you know, that, that's, that, that definitely gets your, your full attention. I've knocked my head pretty good on the, the canopy a few times and, 
you know, there's times where you're, you're looking out left and right to make sure your wings are still attached uh, to the fuselage, right? It's like, you know, just, just crazy, crazy turbulence. You got, you know, tow planes going up, you're going down, you know, rope, slack, you got to manage. It, it can really, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, that's, it's very intense. Um, but then you're, you're always rewarded on the other side of the rotor with just, you know, wonderful, smooth, rising, you know, air. So it's like the no pain, no gain kind of thing. I mean, you got to get through all that rotor crap and then you get rewarded with, you know, free altitude and, and really chill, quiet, peaceful, you know, soaring. And then of course, once you're kind of done and you're ready to go back, you got to fly back through the rotor. And I remember one time I was on a wave day when I was I was just soloing in one of the school's uh, K-21s and, you know, the radio call came over and it was like, you know, hey, Academy 8, uh, you know, somebody else has got the ship booked at two o'clock. So can you kind of come back now? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure. So, I, you know, I just I kind of expedited back. I picked it up to probably like 80 knots, you know, spoilers pulled because I think I was at you know, 12,000 feet or something going pretty fast, but then I kind of forgot like, oh, well, you know, I got towed through all that rotor. I'm going to probably fly back through it. So, you know, still kind of low hours guy. I didn't really think about that. And, and man, I got, I got beat up, you know, pretty good, you know, on that same rotor back and, and going, you know, a little fast and, you know, have it to do all over again. I'd probably slow down <laughs> going back through. And then, and then of course you're rewarded with, um, Typically at Crystal on wave days, it, it can be, you know, it's usually fifth. I mean, 15 would be mild and you, you, you know, typically will have 20 knots um, right across the runway, just straight across the runway. And they do have a really short crosswind strip, but not many guys are really, you know, dialed enough to use it. And I never had been checked out on it. It's still on my list to, to do that. But yeah, so you you get good at uh, you know crosswind landings and you know weather vaning off the the side of the runway, and so certainly wave would rank pretty high for me. And then the other thing up there is you you have some really pretty some really pretty beastie you know thermals that if you're not you know careful and you're you know you're in a forty five or fifty degree bank, you know they can really tip you you know tip you over in a you know in a hurry. You just really have to be on your toes and not get too complacent because they have regularly have eight, 10, 12 knot thermals. And, and when they're bubbling around on one side of you and uh, they can kind of sneak up on you and really, again, really get your attention. Yeah, that's all just kind of, you know, I guess usual stuff for, for mountain soaring, you know, type locations, you know, when you're still relatively low hours. guy. I mean, a lot of that stuff can, can feel kind of scary when you're not you know, used to those sensations or you don't have a CFI sitting, you know, in the back seat behind you ready to, to bail you out, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. What are your short and medium term goals maybe for soaring? I mean, are you wanting to just fly around the mountains locally, do some cross country? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think for the next one or two years anyway, I, I just want to kind of hone my craft just around crystal and just it just keep kind of learning the, the basics. I think there's just no shortage. I mean, there's guys that, you know, can spend, you know, years out there and not still think they have it at all you know, figured out. So, 
So I don't really have any short-term goals for, for doing, you know, racing or, or cross country or anything, just really more kind of, you know, recreational soaring and maybe doing some kind of local triangles and stuff. But yeah, I'm just trying to keep it and just trying to keep it in front of me, keep it real for the next couple of years, I think. Absolutely. You know, every, every flight in the glider is amazing. And different. There are, I mean, every flight, every single flight, every toe, every landing, every, you know, time you think you've felt something at a certain place in the mountains, it's always different. Absolutely. So speaking of what's the most cool or maybe strangest thing you've ever seen flying around crystals, especially this summer? Well, that would for sure have to be the fire. So there's a really big fire called the, uh, what is it called? The Bobcat fire, which started, I think it was like, must be like three weeks ago now. And actually it was funny. I was, I was up on top of, uh, what was it? Mount Lewis, which is on fire right now, by the way, oh, wow. the day that started and just about a half hour or an hour after it started, I have a picture of it on my, my Instagram, which is, uh, at stealth Victor for Sierra at stealth V4S. If anybody wants to check it out, which was, you know, it was just a little puff of smoke off my wing. And at the time, nobody, you know, really thought much about it. It's like, oh, I'm sure they'll snuff that out. And then that fire ended up, you know, growing to, um, God, I think it's 130,000 acres now. And then ended up, ended up shutting down the airport for the last like 10 days. So there's a, a TFR had been issued because there's a lot of fixed wing and Sikorsky's and various, uh, helicopters kind of operate in and there's a aqueduct right next to the runway at, at crystal. And so the, the helicopters come and dip their beak in, in there and get water and stuff. So while those guys are active and you know, fighting the fire, you know, they shut the airport down, but, but yeah, that was pretty wild to see this little puff of smoke just after it started. And then later kind of realized that, you know, that was really the, the Genesis moment of the Bobcat fire. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's been in the news a lot. It's, it's kind of nuts. It, that's under control now pretty much, right? Yeah. It's like 60% contained, but today, tomorrow, and the next day they're, they're forecasting what's called the Santa Ana winds. And for people not familiar from Southern California, it's, it's basically just um, very high temperatures, very low humidity, and, and and high wind, and so there's a lot of concern that some of those hot spots are going to pop back again. We're not out of the woods yet by any means, no pun intended. But it's it's been horrible. It's been a lot of property loss, and and even on the desert side over here, uh, in fact, I think most of the structures and property damage was done really not too far from Crystal up in like uh, Juniper Hills and, and some of these places. And uh, yeah, it's been really, it's been really bad. All, whole West Coast has been, been really impacted this year. So. so whether it's soaring birds, paragliders or whatever, do you have any memorable experiences soaring with someone or something else? Well, I know a lot of recent podcasts have talked about the birds and there are loads of cool birds up here and uh, a lot of good memories, I guess for me this summer the coolest thing was um there was a big uh just a big booming day here about uh, six weeks ago so it must have been i was like sometime in august and the lift was 
and it was cloud-based, I think it was like 14,000 feet. It's kind of lift everywhere. So we were up kind of over the airport where all the lift was. There's a bunch of big queues up there. And, and yes, these paragliders just kind of pop out of nowhere. And they were at like 10, 11,000 feet. And, you know, and they wanted to kind of play that, you know, we were circling you know, they kind of came in and we had a little bit of like a gaggle going on with, with these guys. And, um, you know, they had their, they had their cameras out and, you know, we had a GoPro going and stuff and everybody was just kind of, you know, just having fun, keeping it, you know, keeping safe distance. But yeah, that was, uh, that was super fun. Nice. Actually, I've never seen, I mean, it's the first time I'd actually seen those guys out in the vicinity of Crystal. We still aren't really too sure where they launched from. Uh, where they were landing, but you know they were having a blast, and those guys outclimbed us. I remember one time I was at like twelve thousand, and and those they were like way above us. So they were they were having a blast, and that's probably my most uh, I mean, sort of my most memorable you know experience to soar with with you know kind of something other than a glider. Yeah, wow, very cool. <laughs> Had to have been an awesome experience. I know you're low hours pilot, right? And I know you've been through a lot of training and flights. Do you have any safety tips that you can share with the community? Yeah, there's a few things. One thing I don't hear or sort of read enough, I guess, is is really like proper spin training. And it's, you know, to me, it's it's one of the things I think that new pilots, you know, they see the accident reports and get really concerned about. It's like, oh, you know, God, well, you know, spin is bad. But then... You know, a lot of people I don't think go through the the actual training. So I I did take some time in the you know in the spring before all the COVID mess and 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 did about six flights where we were doing it's really just dedicated you know spin training. So it's it's really good you know muscle memory uh, to have so that when or if it you know happens to you you, you kind of know how to to get out of it because I think it's one thing to read it it's quite another thing to do it and when you're you know, doing like three full rotations, it, you know, you, it really, it just really helps to have, have kind of done it before. So that, that's something I think everybody can benefit from, even if you've been flying for a while, even just to do like a refresher with somebody for like one flight would be, you know, I think high value for, for pilot safety. You know, and the other thing is, you know, checklists. I, you know, I, I think a lot of glider pilots don't really use written checklists kind of just commit everything to memory and stuff, but yeah, I don't really trust myself. Maybe I'm too old or, you know, I don't know, but, um, I have, you know, I just have kind of like a lanyard on my, on my neck with, you know, a couple of cards where I have my, you know, my checklist just so that I can kind of glance down and, you know, even when things are discombobulated or, you know, feels rushed or whatever, you, you can look down and actually just tick through things and powered pilots, you know, almost always have, you know, written checklists. So, but even then, as, as, you know, as good as that should be, um, you know, things still do happen. And a couple examples happened to me just a few weeks ago where, sure, I had my lanyard, I had my checklist around my neck, but then, you know, just things started to feel, you know, a little rushed on, on the tarmac, you know, had somebody that kind of called in a little late on, on downwind and, you know, the tow plane was all kind of ready. And, and it's like, and I thought I had, you know, done my checklist. But, you know, I didn't kind of stop, breathe and, and go through it one last time. And so, you know, I signaled the wing runner and and then we're, you know, going down the runway, you know, get off the ground and probably about five feet off the ground. And then just kind of, you know, I just hear this like, bam, and my, you know, my main gear um, is back on pavement. And I'm like, you know, what, 
the heck's going on? Like, you know, did I just hit some wind shear, some weird gradient or something? So I pull back on a stick and, you know, start climbing out. It's a little slow and just felt kind of mushy. And I'm like, you know, what, you know, what the hell is going on? But we were still, you know, gaining altitude and we're about, you know, 200 feet outside the airport by now. And I get a radio call. You know, it's like uh, Delta Lima uh, spoilers. And I'm like, oh, you know, so I look out of my wing and of course, you know, my spoilers are out. I didn't have them locked and they had, they'd, you know, popped out at some point you know, during the takeoff. So, you know, thank God that, you know, tow pilot didn't release me and, and, you know, thank God the, the, the ASG 29 makes enough, you know, lift that you can still kind of, you know, survive that situation with, with just some back stick. But the moral of that story is, you know, it's like, you know, slow down, breathe and take the extra 10 seconds. Cause you, you had it, it was, it was, it was there, just take it and, and just make sure, you know, one last time before you give, you know, give the signal and, you know, really. And then the same day I had a similar thing with, um, you know, I was all ready to go and, and instructors kind of like waving his arms from the side. I'm like, you know, what the heck? And so then I disconnect the tow rope. I was just about ready to waggle my rudder. And he's like, dude, your tail dolly's on. And that, you know, and, and that, you know, bad things can happen. I mean, it goes without saying you take off the tail dolly, it can really mess with your CG. And there's a lot of aft uh, weight there. I, I don't know what that thing weighs, but it's, it's probably, I don't know, 15 pounds or something. And it's way, way, way in the back there. So um, it, it, it's just slowing down and not, you know, even if there's a couple gliders kind of sack up there, you know, waiting, just, just take the extra moments to like, and, and, and there's always something going on. And in that particular case, we had a big sage bush that was like tied up in the tow rope. And it took the, it took the line guy, like, like three minutes to get this stupid bush out of the, the tow rope. So then everybody starts getting kind of anxious. Cause you got, you know, you got students in the pattern and you got, and then my last flight, it's like my spoilers pop open. So my head's just focused on, you know, okay, you know, your air brakes locked and uh, wasn't thinking about the, you know, the tail dolly, which is the, you know, that's the, that's the PIC's responsibility. Is your tail dolly on or off? I mean, that's, that's on, that's on the pilot to, to make sure that, that that's done before you take off. So, so yeah, that's, I guess my piece on safety is, you know, checklist, you know, kind of slowing down a little bit, and just, just making sure, you know, one last time. Well, some great advice. And I do love the fact that you put the lanyard on. I think that's something that we all could do. It's, I mean, it's a great idea. It's, it's right there. It's a, it's a great reminder. So I know one of the things I ask everybody on the show is, you know, what can be done or what are you doing personally to help grow the sport of soaring? Yeah, well, at a personal level, and I think it's something that all glider pilots can do kind of all the time is, you know, we can offer, you know, rides you know, like as gifts to, you know, friends or business associates or people that you think might be willing to come out, you know, and try, you know, if you're, if you're able to kind of pull that off and, you know, have a few extra bucks to, to, you know, just kind of sponsor some, you know, some people to come out and, and, and give it a try. I mean, that's one really direct way. And I remember once I did a, I think I gave away 20 free glider ride certificates at a, at a holiday party at my company. Now, of course, not many people actually showed up, you know, the, the whole thing about an aircraft without an engine and all that. But, but still, I mean, if, if you don't try, right, it's like, you, you got to try. 
And then with the Soren Academy, you know, I've, I've, I've done some modest donations to their nonprofit org that's focused both on outreach to young people, you know, for area STEM programs, as well as a program uh, they call the uh, Warriors Soar. And that's where they invite out sort of like once a month, a group of uh, veterans from uh, around the area that um, have been afflicted by PTSD, polytrauma, and various brain injuries. And then they get them up in you know, glider rides in the, in the mountains here. Many of these vets with these kind of injuries, they, they often have trouble to do things that, that, you know, people like me and you take for granted, like, you know, Hey, let's, uh, let's take a vacation for a week or, or two, you know, because living and, and dealing with what they have to deal with really can be you know, a daily struggle. So to, to get them, you know, get these folks away on a, on a structured kind of day trip where they can experience the beauty and exhilaration of soaring, you can just kind of see on their faces and, and their feedback when they get down that, you know, even if just for those, you know, fleeting moments that they're up in the air that they, you know, they really felt free from a lot of the stuff that they, that they struggle with on a sort of a day-to-day basis. And as we know, you know, soaring really gets your, you know, your full attention when you're up there. And, and so for these folks, it's, it's really good for them to be able to plug into something else and something positive and even just incremental things, you know, that the hope is that at some level, it, it helps. And in fact, they, they have a, an all women veterans event coming up on October 4th and uh, really looking forward to that. I, I just love the fact that they do the STEM program and then the vet flights. It's it's so cool. I mean, you, the pictures I've seen, well, I was actually there for the STEM program, but I haven't been there for the vet flights. But the pictures I've seen, you can just see it on their faces that they had an amazing experience. Yeah. And so speaking of the STEM, which, by the way, is science, technology, engineering, and, and math, um, the SCSA has also been, you know, they've been active for several years with uh, local area schools. And they'll like de-rig, a, you know, one of the gliders, stick it in a trailer, and then they, they tow it out to the school and rig it up. And, and then they'll get, you know, hundreds of kids interacting with, uh, you know, the instructors and the support staff and school teachers and all that you know, get to sit in the gliders and take selfies and most importantly, just get interested in aviation and, and, and soaring. And it, and it doesn't end with just the school visit because then the SCSA folks will have a pretty good sized group of kids come out every month and, and actually go on mountain soaring rides, you know, after getting some ground instruction and all that. But of course, COVID's put a little bit of a dent in that stuff for a while, given that schools have been closed. But the hope is to get that to get that up and going, you know, soon. But, you know, I just, you know, can't say enough about the good work that the Southern California Soaring Academy's, uh, you know, nonprofit venture is doing for, you know, people's lives, whether it's the the vets that they host every month and just the soaring community as a whole, what with getting, you know, all these young people into the sport. And, you know, I've donated some modest fund to the program, but, but as I say it, you know, it takes a village and, and if, you know, you'd like to check out or get involved with what they're doing um, and help out, you know, just hop over to their to their website at uh, SoCalSoaringAcademy.org. And, uh, you know, any any donations would be greatly appreciated and is going to a you know, to a noble cause for sure. Kind of lastly, but not leastly, I'm working on a 
on a startup project where we're going to be making uh, dedicated uh, simulator cockpits for gliders that more closely replicate actual flight controls uh, in a glider, including uh, flaps with detent notches and spoiler, wheel brake, proper landing gear lever, where the focus for the, the whole cockpit is really just to make proper controls located in the right places and you know with a with an interface that the you know the pilot feels is kind of you know closer to the average performance glider on the market you know we're going to make these things out of uh it's called 8020 aluminum t-slot tubing and so they'll be you know strong robust and just like with other t-slot simulators on the market it's also flexible for upgrades and options um down the road and and we're going to price them you know, reasonably so that they should be affordable to, you know, pretty wide array of glider pilots, um, you know, ranging from your, your kind of weekend condor jockey, you know, all the way up to clubs or flight schools or, you know, just about anybody that wants a, a, a nice simulator cockpit, you know, because during my learning process, I, you know, kind of found out that trying to get into an ASG 29, for example, um, you, you just can't really simulate that on the ground with, of the simulator cockpit um, hardware that that's, you know, that's available. So I had to do a whole bunch of checkout flights on ASG 32 and, you know, SCSA has a Mach 0.1 simulator, but the, but the controls for flaps are just a, you know, a couple of up and down buttons and, and the wheel brake and spoiler, you know, they're just not very sort of realistic, you know, and, and with a flapped ship, you have the gymnastics of, you know, landing with your spoilers out, then you got to jump over to the flaps, you know, get them neutral or negative, get back on the wheel brake. And it's just hard to really, you know, exercise that muscle memory in a simulator without a proper hardware setup. So that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. So we, we think that's going to be helpful to the community at large and, you know, might even be able to save students some money when they're, they're trying to, you know, move into, you know, flapped gliders and, and just want to be able to simulate or just an overall better experience for, you know, Condor pilots um, that are just you know, tired of the, the, the hardware uh, that they have now that's not very purpose built. So, yeah, we're looking at sort of early 2021. And, you know, if you're if you're looking to spend some money on a on a sim rig, you know, just maybe hang out and see what we're what we're up to and uh, check us out at uh, just soaring dot com on the Web. We'll, we'll post some teaser pics here soon on Insta, Facebook. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. That that sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, you, you being the. You know, the, the consummate weekend uh, uh, condor jockey yourself. So, yeah, who, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe Chuck will find one of these things uh, sitting in the studio there or something. Oh, nice. <laughs> I won't say no to that. <laughs> Do you have any mentors or people you want to give a shout out to? Glider pilots always seem to have several people that were, of course, very impactful on their soaring journey. Yeah. So, it's a handful of folks here I'd like to give a shout out to. One is, um, Dale Masters, I think you had him on the show some number of months ago. Um, I think he was the first he was the first guy that actually took a ride with at Crystal and just did some crazy stuff in the mountains that really, you know, just set the hook even deeper in in my gills as if I wasn't already kind of hooked when I started. Uh, and then my instructors, uh, Gary Forrester and Stuart Ayat, that uh, you know that helped me through my um, training process. Joe Capra, you also had him on the show a while ago, and uh, he's kind of my partner in gliding crime and my gliding buddy. You know, Chris and Julie Bennett at the Soaring Academy, amazing people, uh, run a great 
operation, flight school, and again, their um, you know their their work with the the vets and the STEM stuff is is amazing. They're just fantastic people. Very honored to to know them and and be part of their uh, you know part of the thing out there. And then of course uh, you know my my family for giving me the space and time and support. You know, needed to do this whole glider pilot thing, which uh, does you know, does take quite a bit of time away from from that. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, lots of lots of good people in this um, you know in this community. But but uh, certainly these these folks um, you know directly impacted me, and I'm sure there'll be uh, many more to come in the in the coming years. Absolutely. Thank you for taking your time today, Mitch, to be on the show. It's been great to have you. Great to hear your story. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Chuck. I mean, uh, yeah, appreciate what you uh, you know what you're doing for the for the sport and the community, and um, you know, just look forward to the uh, you know future shows. It seems like kind of just keep getting you know keep getting better. So um, you know, thanks for you know thanks for asking me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That is our goal, and and to get the word out is what we're trying to do. Right on. Our soaring safety segment today. We are joined by aerobatic pilot and world champion Luca Bertozio from Italy. You have to start to analyze yourself. How are you doing today? What's the mission? What's the environment? You know, all the classic things that you read on the books while you're studying, those things are super real because uh, they all count. They all means at some point. And your training is the most important item for your safety, most important filter for your safety. So guys, for example, just to give you a short advice before the takeoff try to analyze where you are what are you flying what is going to happen in the next seconds minutes try always to analyze what would you do if the if is the really most important suggestion that they can give you and that you have to think about what happened if i don't mean that you have to be every time so stressful about, uh, okay, now what happened if every time of your life during, during also a flight, because otherwise that uh, the, the joy of flight can become like uh, a stress. So as not to be like that, but take five minutes, relax, just take that time for yourself to think about what happened if, I don't know, I break the rope on takeoff, if, uh windstorm coming or if uh, anything take five minutes analyze what you can and then relax and enjoy the thing because you already pass into your brain your actions your you know automatic motor programs that you're going to activate in case of any problem so always work in advance of you know the situations it's very important for our Soaring Tips and Techniques segment today, we are joined by Barbara Mariftova from the Czech Republic as she describes soaring in wave. It's something totally different from uh, thermal flying. It gives a pilot uh, more experience and it makes you a better pilot to experience something totally different. That's the same with rich flying. I think I I just uh, learned myself, I just learned in the wave that whether and nature is really um, strong and uh, you can only go with the flow and you really can't fight it. You have to think about about this during the way flying. 
that you really can't fight the wind. You have to go with it and you have to go with it smart not to get into a trouble. So it taught me that nature is really powerful. Thank you for joining us for another soaring adventure as well as hearing some great advice from pilots all over the globe. Hey, have you seen it? We made it on the pages of Soaring Magazine. Check us out in the Soaring News section. I would like to thank the SSA for helping us spread the word about soaring through podcasting. You can check out the SSA at ssa.org. Also, thank you to Matt Scudder from SkySight and Chris Wedgwood of Condor, the soaring simulator, for hooking you all up with some great coupon codes you can find in the show notes. Don't forget to take advantage of those great deals. Some of you also have asked about those coffee mugs you have seen on some of our posts on Instagram and Facebook. If you would like to get a hold of one of those, you can click on the link in the show notes that we've included as well. Thank you all for your continued support. And until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and happy storm. If you would like to say hi, just drop Chuck a line at chuck at soaringthesky.com. Or you can send us a note on the website, soaringthesky.com. Also, if you're a pilot, we want to hear your story. Just send us an email and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next week for another great guest and adventure on Soaring the Sky. Music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Voiceover work was provided by Michelle Perez. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton.